You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hello, everybody. This is Sarah here today for a mini episode. Casey and I were talking about different things that were relevant at the time, and I was sharing that because I live in Atlanta, the news of John Lewis's passing was something that hit myself and everybody I know pretty hard. Um, If you've lived in Atlanta for any amount of time and are involved in any very mild activism, there's a chance you've seen John Lewis around town. So I've had the pleasure of seeing him speak at the March for Our Lives. Um, I've also seen him at multiple pride parades over the years. As recently as last October, he was riding in a truck on the Pride Parade in the rain, just dancing and wearing his beads along with everybody. So we wanted to do a short episode for the week on John Lewis. This is a little bit less lighthearted than some of our other episodes. There's not tons to make fun of John Lewis or his contributions for, but we just wanted to do an overview. I think a lot of people know that John Lewis was involved in the civil rights movement and was then a congressman, but I want to fill in some of those some of those spaces on, on what he's really done and why he's important. So when we talk about John Lewis, he was born in 1940 in Troy, Alabama, which is a very rural area, and his parents were actually sharecroppers. They had 10 children. And as a child, John Lewis has said that he knew essentially only Black people. By the time he was six years old, he had met two white people, and that was it. So he grew up in a very segregated time, in a very segregated area, and that was something that was the reality of his life as a child. As he got a little bit older, he began to go into the nearby cities more, particularly to visit the library, and he began to see more white people and notice the segregation that was happening in the South at the time. So it began to become part of his consciousness that that was happening and something that affected him even as a child. When he was a bit older, some family members took him to Buffalo, New York, and that was the first time he really saw integration. So he knew it was happening in the North, but he had not seen the actual possibility of public spaces open for both Black people and white people. And that put a a seed in his head of what could be possible. When he was 15 years old, for the first time, he heard Martin Luther King Jr. speak on the radio, which really just compounded this interest he had had in the ideas of integration and racial equality. And he gets pretty deep into this. By the time he's 17, he's met Rosa Parks. And by the time he's 18, he knows Martin Luther King Jr. and is beginning to be a part of early protests, and get involved in the civil rights movement. He does go off to college in Nashville when he's 18, and while he's there, he gets involved with all sorts of activism. So he's a part of nonviolent workshops happening at school. He's a part of marches and sit-ins, and this becomes just a large part of his identity and his main sort of activity that he takes part in. So once he graduates, he is serving as the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the SNCC. And as a part of that, he is in Selma, Alabama a few times. So 
1963, he is in Selma to help register Black people to vote. And eight months later, he's at the March on Washington with Martin Luther King Jr. And so he is really becoming prevalent in the movement. At the March on Washington, which is where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech, John Lewis also gives a speech. Um, I encourage you to look it up. It's a wonderful speech. There's also some great stories from John Lewis about how he was asked to temper the speech right before he gave it. Martin Luther King Jr. actually pulled him aside along with some organizers of the march and said, your speech is too incendiary um, and too radical and you have to pull it back a bit. And he says now that that upset him, but he did at the time agree to make some of those concessions, hoping it would help with their activism. But he makes a speech there. And right after that, he is arrested for the first of about 45 times in his life related to civil rights activity. So 1963 is the first time he's arrested, but that will not be the last time you hear about John Lewis going to jail over his right to assemble. In 1965, we have what is known as Bloody Sunday. So this is a march in Selma again, and they are attempting to lead about 600 voting rights activists and marchers from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, where they cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. The police and state troopers come in and brutally attack the protesters, including John Lewis. He's hit in the head and he spends two days in the hospital and he has said that he thought he was going to die on that bridge. Um, but he comes out okay after the injuries. And just a few weeks later, he is joining other marches. So they start doing more Selma to Montgomery marches for voting rights. And about two weeks after having his skull bashed in, he is out on the, on the bridges, on the streets of Selma again, marching and working towards the Voting Rights Act, ultimately. That is a piece of legislation that John Lewis is not solely responsible for, but is considered one of his great legacies and was something he was very passionate about. And that is sort of the culmination of what we know as his voting rights advocacy and the civil rights movement portion of his life in the way it's currently seen today. So there's a small gap of time from 1965 over the next few years. In that time period, he marries his wife Lillian in 1968, and they do eventually adopt one son. His name is John Miles Lewis. Uh, he goes on to work in the hip-hop industry, but has said that he may go into politics like his father one day. And also in that time period, both Martin Luther King Jr. and John F. Kennedy are assassinated both of whom are people Lewis worked with on different levels and had varying levels of friendship with, particularly Martin Luther King Jr. So that was obviously a time that was very hard on him and scary for him when you have friends doing the same work that you are who are assassinated for it. But he does not stop his activism. In 1971, he becomes the executive director of the Voter Education Project, so he, in his time, adds about 4 million minority voters to the rolls and starts expanding the mission of this. So it's not just about adding voters, but about getting the word out to others and increasing voter turnout and things like that. He does that job as the executive director for about six years, and he makes his first bid for Congress in Atlanta. So he loses that race to a popular white politician in a runoff. 
Um, but after he loses that, President Jimmy Carter appoints him to direct action, which is a federal volunteer agency. So this is how he gets his actual start in formalized politics is Jimmy Carter comes in, puts him over this agency that involved both voting activity as well as a number of other types of volunteering. He runs that agency for about four years, and then he does win his first political office. So he is elected as a member of the Atlanta City Council in 1981 and serves as a member of that city council for five years. In 1986, he runs for Congress to represent Georgia's 5th District. That includes a lot of Atlanta. I will tell you that the districts in Atlanta are horribly gerrymandered. I know of places I can go where if I stand on one side of the street, you were in the fifth district and John Lewis was your representative. And if you cross the street, you were in the sixth, the sixth district, which is historically a lot more conservative. I myself have lived in the sixth, sixth district, which I apparently can't say. I myself have lived in the sixth district for my six years in Atlanta. Um, we elected Lucy McBath in the 2018 election, which is the first time we've had a Democratic representative in a long time. It's a historically red district and is very purposely gerrymandered against John Lewis's fifth district. He was reelected 16 times. So we're talking 1986 is when he became a congressman. He died a few days ago in 2020, and he was a congressman that whole time. There's no other steps in there. Um, in 2018, the most recent election, he ran without opposition. No one even bothered to try and beat John Lewis. And in only one of those 16 elections, did he ever receive less than 70% of the vote? So John Lewis was very popular here in Atlanta. Like I said, almost everybody I know has seen him speak at some sort of event. And others who live in the heart of the city have seen him in a lot of casual contexts. So I have friends who have met him at various book and arts festivals throughout the city. I have a friend who would go on her college campus at Agnes Scott and saw him very often because it was right near his workplace and he would buy her coffee and buy random people coffee from the carts outside. You'd be hard pressed to find a progressive Atlantan who does not have some sort of story of meeting John Lewis or John Lewis being kind to them or present at an event that was important. So even though his political career is a congressperson from 1986 until two, 2000, from 1986 until 2020, he did a lot of things within that time period. So he continues championing, championing voting rights and racial equality throughout the rest of his life. And in 2013, when the Voting Rights Act was essentially gutted by the Supreme Court, John Lewis spent the seven years since then advocating to get Voting Rights Act back on track and expand those rights, fighting against gerrymandering and voter suppression and things like that. He's also a fairly early person to come out in favor of marriage equality and affordable health care, aka universal health care in this case. He's a big supporter of the Affordable Care Act. He also has done a lot of work around gun control. So after the Parkland, Florida shooting, he's involved in some sit-ins with other members of Congress to fight for better gun control measures. He's actually arrested five times 
during his tenure as a congressman. So in 2009, he's arrested with a few other representatives outside the embassy of Sudan for protesting the obstruction of aid to Darfur. He's also arrested twice for protesting apartheid outside of the South African embassy. So he continues this legacy of civil disobedience, even as a sitting member of Congress. One other thing he does is he becomes an author. So while he's in Congress, Lewis creates a series of graphic novels called March. There are three books in the series, and they tell the story about his work in the civil rights movement. So they're autobiographical graphic novels. They do really well. He actually wins the National Book Award for the third installment, March Book Three. That's the first time that a graphic novel ever wins that award. And this for him was a big accomplishment that he cited a lot. He would speak about going to the library as a child and not being able to get a card because it was only for white people and how his grandmother and his teacher would tell him to read growing up and how important reading has been to him. So winning a National Book Award was something that was very special to him outside of his time in politics. And I do encourage you to read the March trilogy, books one, two, and three, if you haven't, because they are great. John Lewis did get to live to see Barack Obama become president. Um, And he said many times that as a young man, if you told him there would be a Black president in his lifetime, he would have thought you were crazy. So I wanted to end with a quote from Obama. This is from the 2011 ceremony where John Lewis is presented the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is the highest honor a civilian can be given. And this is something that Obama said in his speech. There is a quote inscribed over a doorway in Nashville where students first refused to leave lunch counters 51 years ago this February. And the quote said, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? It's a question John Lewis has been asking his entire life. It's what's led him back to the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma after he'd already been beaten within an inch of his life days before. It's why time and again, he faced down death so that all of us could share equally in the joys of life. It's why all these years later, he's known as the conscious of the United States Congress, still speaking his mind on issues of justice and equality. And generations from now, when parents teach their children what is meant by courage, the story of John Lewis will come to mind. An American who knew that change could not wait for some other person or some other time, whose life is a lesson in the fierce urgency of now. And as you guys probably know, John Lewis died having made great strides in the civil rights movement and been an important part, but it's certainly not over. There are active movements happening in the country today that John Lewis supported. And supporting those is one of the best things we can do to honor this legacy. And so is voting. I've mentioned voting quite a few times. It was something John Lewis was very passionate about. So make sure you take advantage of that right in November and that you vote. And I hope everybody takes a moment today to remember John Lewis. Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at whatthehistorypodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.